Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. It's great to be back. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, it's really, really simple. It's right in the name. Either one of us or both of us are experiencing something for the first time. Usually it's a movie and we're going to talk about it. Today, my guest is an award-winning filmmaker, composer, a screenwriter, model, actor. He does it all. It's Emil Loxa. Emil, how's it going? It's going great, Dad. <laughs> oh, man, it's been a month since I recorded, so I told you before we recorded I'm a little rusty, but um, no, it's just good to be back and have you as my first guest because, uh, yeah, we, we, we're just sort of coming off the tail end of the Snake Alley Festival film where you were involved in several projects. Um, like I said in your intro, you sort of do everything. You're a musician. I don't know if I put that in there, too. You're a singer, not just a composer. Uh, I mean, you either have a camera on your shoulder or you're on the other side of the camera. Uh, and and just before I hit record, we were talking about how you're just completely doing that for your living now. Like, I remember when we were uh, when, when you did that thing for me for Produce Iowa, when they hired you to film that interview and you were you were still trying to juggle a full time job and doing that. And you're like, you're like near death every time I saw you. So uh, it's just great to hear that, you know, you're, you're doing this and that is it. Like, and not to say that is it, but I mean, your focus is on the film world now, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely a lot. I wouldn't say it's less stressful, but oh, it no. feels, yeah, it feels nice to, to just kind of condense that all into one place. Well, you've been a very busy man lately. Um, I know your your company, Color Me and Media, you sort of started doing more, um, you were doing promotional stuff for businesses, and then it seems to have morphed more onto the music videos, but not just music videos. Um, you're still doing some branded content for people, uh, marketing, that kind of stuff, but um, I mean, local musicians have all sort of flocked to you for their <laughs> music videos. Uh, can you talk a little bit about th- how that came to be? Um. As far as the switch to music videos, I, I think, I think that was ultimately one of the things that I wanted to do, um, as my background is pretty heavily music related, and and the other thing is like I, I I'm still trying to find a way to demonstrate the value of video to, um, to our local community. Like I I have some clients that swear by me, and I and I love them. And then there's others that are like, you know, still afraid to make that jump. And um, maybe four years ago, I was kind of the only one trying that besides like Dustin Roth and uh, Burlington thing. Right. But uh, <laughs> but now there's I, I see I think I see a new video production uh, company or or uh, business pop up in in the Greater Burlington Partnership uh, like every every year. Yeah, I mean, I I. My background's in graphic design. Graphic communications technically is what I have my degree in, but um, I went to SCC for two years, and it was graphic communications there. And over the years, that sort of morphed into there was like a journalism part to it that you could do, and then now it's completely gone, and it's social media marketing. Mm-hmm. And I'm on that board where we figure out the curriculum, and it's really interesting because it's like they brought over a lot of the same people from that uh gcom group and it's and to me it's completely different i mean oh man like the design stuff is such a small part of this huge world it's almost crazy to me that they've condensed this into a two-year degree because uh it just 
it's always evolving. Every day there's something new that you have to learn. And people, especially in Burlington, I mean, they were slow to adapt to it. It's like, you know, they would just have whoever would be willing to do it run their social media accounts. Oh, and and sometimes it's, to be honest, like it's almost worse than not having an online presence is having a bad <laughs> online presence. You, uh, yeah. You absolutely said it. And I... This is going to sound like a hot take, and I don't mean to disparage the program, but um, as, as fast as uh, trends evolve in the social media marketing field and, and you know, all these other, other things, like how, how are you adapting to like user habits? How, how is internet culture taking something? Every day is a new thing. And, that, and I, I used to be the social media manager at uh, Pizzazz Entertainment Complex slash the casino slash whatever everything whatever businesses yeah they own. yeah yeah i was i was the first one in that role and i you know I was, I was a little green i'd had some experience like running facebook ads by myself and for for like my my newfound clients but when i when i did it at that level um it, there's there's just so much like it's not a one it's not a one person job especially at that scale and and i i worry that <laughs> i i worry that people discount how um, how much time and effort really goes into running a single social channel, let alone multiple ones? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, if you want someone to run a Facebook uh page well, and and that's with like content creation, uh, running paid campaigns, uh, community management, like that's that's a full time job in itself. And then all the like people are like, well, why don't we post this everywhere? And it's just like. Mm, no it's not that's not how that works <laughs> right and not what works for one format does not work on another uh and oh yeah it's i mean i i'm self-taught as well and i you know help out with the theater and run the, the snake mm-hmm. alley stuff but i know I, i'm very well aware of my limits and what we can do and you know i've i, I think it would be a great opportunity i've i've talk to Carlene Woodside, who's in charge of that program, about getting some of their interns into the theater to help out with that, not only just to take some of the workload off, but also to learn like real life experience because they yep, they yep. get internships you have to have to finish that program. And I'm like, if I was if I, they had that opportunity when I was at SCC to like step into a theater role and actually promote real shows and, and comedians and, and bands and, you know, whatever the hell we have at the theater, all kinds of stuff, movies. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that would just be such like that would be my dream as as a college student. And uh Yeah. It's I, I've looked at the program and it's sort of crazy to me. Like they can take a whole semester to make like one video for a client, and I'm like, man, that's that's <laughs> oh my god. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, no, I, I completely <laughs> had the same reaction because I'm like, I I have to like like realistically, like people with deadlines, you have to turn that around within like it, you're lucky if you have a night to do it, you know, let alone like a few hours. Uh, you know, clients want that that right now. And uh, watching you like people think of music videos as, you know, just a cool, sparkly way to show a song. Like, no, oh it's God. it's completely it's 100 percent a way to get your band's name out there. It's, it represents everything. It shows their image, it, it, not only just the music, but the image. And yeah. it's like right now, you know, it's it's a weird time because I know you talked about it a little bit on the Cinematic Heartland podcast, mm-hmm. but um it's just like it used to be, you know, we used to have them on TV and we don't music videos don't even hit TV anymore, but no one watches TV anymore. It's all on the yeah. Internet now. And, yeah. you know, it's all about getting those clicks and quick views because you have like a, a very short window to get people's attention before they move on to the next thing. How can you oh, yeah. do it? Yeah. And, and you're su- somehow finding success in this crazy world doing that. <laughs> I like to think so. Thanks. Um, 
I, I, I guess one one last thing. I, oh gosh, I, I agree with that intern thing so much. Um, like, if I had any like suggestion for anyone wanting to do uh, social media marketing, like that today's social media managers and marketers and coordinators are like tomorrow's next uh, chief chief of marketing officers. Like, you have to be such a well-rounded creative and and even on the business side uh kind of in- individual to get it all yeah, synergizing together um like and and that's that's maybe like one of the few fields regardless of whatever whatever industry that you're doing that kind of work where you need to just be in the field immediately like there's no there's no uh one size uh cure all kind of kind of approach cuz like because there's there very well maybe like some kind of marketing advice like well maybe you need to post um two times a day which also if anyone tells you that that's not true but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I have it's a personal pet peeve but like may, maybe maybe a certain a certain demographic that is attracted to the product or the business has different habits and the faster that you find that out in your specific industry the better you'll be as a social media marketer and. And and I, I take a, I took a lot of what I learned diving into that and I've taken it to my business and like how I treat music video as, and and marketing because uh, you you said that music videos are so much more than just a I'm gonna use the word um, light thing mm-hmm. like what uh, I edited the, the video for Love's Blind so let down and like I think I had. There's five band members. I had solo shots of each of them. I had three wides of all of them. And then I had uh, a bunch of B-roll, which I filmed in one day. That same night, I made like a uh, flashback movie kind of thing to play on a projector screen to play during the performance shots. Right. So you made a movie while you were making a movie to put in the movie. Yep. <laughs> and and don't think I don't notice that. Like when I was there, you know, just hanging out at the theater, uh, just sort of babysitting, it was like when you gave me the flash drive to play it on the screen, I'm like, this is what he shot like today and yesterday. And it's already like edited. You had to edit it and get it ready to play there while you're still shooting the video. It's, I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You, you must not have slept at, at any point. Oh, you know, what's funny is I actually went to Cedar Rapids that night and came back and then edited. Yeah, <laughs> you're a madman, uh, but it shows, yeah. you know, I, I, I have such little experience as far as the filmmaking goes, but um, I've always, sort of thought and and one of the big reasons that we make sure to include music videos in in snaf is that i don't think people it's always sort of viewed as like a lower like uh, to me in 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 a lot of people's minds it's like oh it's a lower form it's it's just a music video it's a three minute thing that's set to a song but like you try editing like like you said how many five band members so i i mean 20 plus tracks the the last eugene love you video i had 28 uh, audio uh, like visual tracks that I, like i combed for all the best moments in each of them and to, you have to, to make. you have to match them up to the music so it doesn't look like they're they're mm-hmm. fake playing they're lip syncing they're pretending uh because yep. that's really really noticeable when there's drum drums being hit that are not being hit on the screen um i, I think it's actually in, in many ways much harder uh as far as the post goes editing goes definitely um how uh, like on average i know it differs from project to project big time but like what how long how many hours do you think you take editing like a three or four minute music video oh good god (laughs) (laughs) um i 
I don't know, actually. I, cause, cause I, it, it's more of a like, can I get into a flow state <laughs> early right. enough to do it? Yeah. Um, the the fastest that I've ever edited of music videos two weeks the the longest it's ever taken me and this was earlier way earlier in my career I just didn't I tell a little bit of the story but I I just didn't have enough experience to do what I was doing that video took me four to five months to edit <laughs> yeah well what's it what does it say uh, fake it till you make it so I mean you got to just do it and and learn and throw yourself in the deep end I guess. Yeah, um, but yeah. yeah, I know like a lot of filmmakers in general, you know, and actors too. They look back at their old stuff and they're like, man, I would have done this different, that different. Um, but it's all you're learning how not to do things, so you know how to do things in the future. Oh yeah, and that's what I mean. Really, that's any <laughs> that's what you pay any freelancer for, right? Like, right, all that all that experience. Um, but you you are right in that I think there might be there there might be just a bit of a stigma about music videos, but I, um. I do want to mention, though, like, David Fincher started his career as a director oh, yeah, doing and music videos. Yeah, he, he's got some <laughs> big ones on his resume, and then, yeah, now he's considered one of the best directors, modern directors, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know, to me, it's like, it, some of my favorites, uh, as far as the film festival goes, just because I, I love, like, Compo- like putting these film blocks together and throwing like a music video right in the middle, because you, you, you can have some highs and lows of emotions. And you have those in music videos too, but to me, it's sort of like a nice palate cleanser, like, uh, yeah. you know. But like, like your your recent one for Love's Blind, that was not just like a bunch of dudes playing guitars. It had an underlying story. There was more to it, so it was like its own little drama with music <laughs> in the background. Uh, did you come up with that concept, or did they come to you with it? Um, they they had some ideas, but um, usually, usually, um. The bands and I will like pitch stuff until something sticks, and then I'm responsible for developing it. Um, so I, I think that one was probably more on my end, and then getting all the logistics to work. Like, uh, if you, for any any person that's not familiar with filmmaking, like getting everything together, even on a short film, is is an experience in itself because you have to line up locations, uh, cast, crew members, like everyone's schedules. And then when I do it with music videos, I have to condense that even more because I only have so many things I can get in a in that same amount of time. Right. <laughs> yeah, because you, you're set to however long the song is, maybe give or take at the beginning a little bit. But um, mm-hmm. that's what's tough about it, too. Like I said, with editing you have to pick yeah you have to be really picky with what shot to use and you know you're you're fitting however many hours of footage you have filmed into yeah. a 4 minute video and and i think and it's a whole different debate and it would it might take us down a rabbit hole but um i feel like a lot of it, it's always been a debate but it's like i think a lot of people fall in love with foot their footage that they shoot because it's a lot of work to make mm-hmm. a movie it is so much work to make a movie that's why i you know i have such a hard time at like the award ceremony just saying like this one's better than yours like it's it's a miracle <laughs> to get something made and to me it's like if you got your film on this screen in front of people that's that's a win in its own in its own right but um i think oh, you know yeah. on on the other side of the camera some people you know it's such such hard work and and so much goes into the preparation and getting it right that it's really hard to cut some of that out where you don't really have a choice when you're making a music video. You only have so much time 
you got to make your choices and uh, you, you can, you know, sit and play with it forever, but the song's only so long. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it, recently I shot um, kind of a secret project and our DP, I would say who they are, but they would reveal what, who the, what the project is. You can, tell, <laughs> you can tell me off the mic after. Sure, sure. Um, but um, constantly he was looking at his camera and he's like, um, you know, what, what are we trying to tell with this shot? What are we trying to tell with this frame? And, and I think of that, I take that same mentality with, with music videos because, again, I can't extend the song unless they go the short film route, which two of my clients really recently have opted to do, which is fun. Um, <laughs> but but I, I'm, I have to always be aware of, like, does this shot have the right amount of momentum for this part of the song? You know, I, I'm I'm... I'm trying to think whether I need to play with or against that that kind of energy, and I'm. It sounds crazy, but 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 every single frame in most music music videos I do, I, I I have looked and stared at like two or three times. Oh yeah, well I'm like I said, I imagine you have to because you only have you have such a limited time, and there's there's short films that are shorter than that, but. Mm-hmm. it's almost you know i know how much watching how long it took for you to film i watched you do it you know physically was there watching you do it and uh i mean it it took longer for you to set up the lights for one <laughs> shot than it did than you got in the whole video you know and and i just yeah i think people watch these things it, it's interesting to me watching audience members who have never made films come out of a film festival and go man i'm so inspired i want to try this and i'm like I encourage you to try this, uh, but it, just be forewarned, it is not nearly as easy as it looks or as easy as they might say on stage, because um, when you were doing the Q&As, they're done with their film. They showed it. They're happy that there's an audience. Um, mm-hmm. They're not going to relive that day where nothing was going <laughs> right. Everyone was mad at each other. Um, no one showed up on time. You know, things were not going right. Like they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're going to relive the, the joy of it because it, it's over and they're done. But um you know, it's it's definitely not and most filmmakers I know have day jobs, have other jobs. It's not you know, it, it's it's not something for um, the weak heart. It is a tough thing to do. Uh, and I have so much respect for you guys. And, and, you, and like I said, I, I we've talked a lot about music videos, but you're on the other side of the camera as well as you're an actor. You're also on the other side of the mic as a musician. You're just sort of do <laughs> anything and everything. And I love it watching you like go from a table reader at SNAF to like blowing up and and everywhere i look i'm on my instagram scrolling through and it's like my friend max has you in his pool with a camera you're over at (laughs) someone else it's like okay how's emil in three places at once oh no he just shot three videos in two days somehow uh you know and it's i I love it man like you're 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 so in demand and and watching you watching people grow is like my funnest like the, the most fun thing for me just uh you know i'm not saying i'm taking any credit for that but just watching you blossom and and you've jumped on it and just kept riding this train and it's just it's awesome to watch man oh thanks i mean i i definitely give the capital and the staff a lot of uh, a lot of credit for giving me kind of my start so <laughs> well no it's like i said it's it's fantastic and uh i don't see you like sticking around here for much longer you're gonna outgrow um your shoes pretty quickly it just I, I think you're going to start getting recognized for, for all your talents. And uh, do you have anything in the works as far as on the other side of the camera as an actor? Um, I, uh, well, okay. I'm trying to think. Well, think of what you can say. 
Yeah, uh, this will have already aired. So, um, at the time of this recording, tomorrow is the Best of City screenings at the 48-hour film festival in Des Moines. Um, our 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 48-hour short film made it to the finals, and um, I I play one of the leads in there. Uh, I'm really proud of that performance, and I, I think our ensemble as a whole would has a decent chance of being uh, nominated for best acting. And like I, everyone that was on that team knocked it out of the park. We had Michael duty scored a film noir in like 36 hours without ever having seen the film. He just saw the script and went from there. Um, the Ben Schmidt, our uh, director of photography is one of the most talented people to be in that role that I've ever met and he surprises me every time that he works something or works on something or we work on a music video together and then um again this last weekend I I filmed a secret project where it was definitely one of the most challenging roles I've had to date like there was a lot of uh <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of mental duress there but I I think I think it it's ultimately going to play well in the ultimate product or the final product. Well, when I, I follow you on all social media platforms and like <laughs> I said, I, I, you pop up in my friends feeds and their stories, everything, but also like I see you in like a gym doing martial arts because you're like going to be doing stunts and playing like <laughs> a, an assassin. I'm like, Jesus Christ, he's, he's fucking handsome. He, he kills people in movies. Uh, and then he goes behind the camera. It's like, and then he goes behind the mic and sings like, is there anything you can't do? It's, it's just it's crazy man like i i'm looking for the one thing you're bad at and uh i'm gonna find it eventually and and expose you but um (laughs) it's it's, i've known you for quite a few years and i haven't found it yet so um it's gonna take a while but is there anything actually that you that you would say that you're not good at like that you need to work on um i could get very i could get much better at sports (laughs) okay athletics yeah yeah like it, it's so funny to me because like I I was very much a bench warmer in school like like football, baseball <laughs> track, and then like I I picked up like four ish martial arts um in my adult life and now I do stunt work like make it make sense. Well, yeah, you, you, yeah, you figure out what like I said, you figure out what you're good at and you make it work. And I I was actually pretty good at sports in like elementary school and then when i hit middle school i started hanging out with like the stoner kids and the goths and um you know sports could not be less cool in that crew Mm -hmm. and i sort of was like what is this like we're playing it was too competitive for me it it became Mm -hmm. less fun when it got too competitive and i was like yeah i'm out i'm gonna i'm gonna be like an indoor kid um (laughs) you know but it's it's never been something and to me that's like well that's fine You're, you you uh because most athletes can't do the other side of things i mean how many people can cross over we have so many bad athletes in movies i mean <laughs> that that's a whole yeah. different discussion <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's just it's just been great to see you working hard and and being everywhere i thought the you know, the 48 hour film fest, I didn't plan for that to be like right after SNAF, but it was cool to sort of watch everyone go from Burlington up to Des Moines uh, and, and go to those screenings. They were like, I think the next, like starting the next day. Yeah. Uh, and so it was like this crazy long, like week, week long marathon for a lot of filmmakers in Iowa. Um, and 
I promise I won't do that to you guys again because it seems like <laughs> I probably nearly killed all of you uh, with with those guys. But it's cool that 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 whole thing is is a whole different. I can't imagine organizing it, and I can't imagine being a part of those projects. But it's so cool to see everybody like have their teams and put stuff together. I mean, that's that's filmmaking on a different level. Yeah, it it <laughs> it forces you to be like it really it really forces you to be efficient, like in, in a way that like oh, can we do that take again? And then it, when you condense the entire process into 48 hours, uh... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about uh, them composing the score in that time. That's like people don't realize. I think people like general audiences who don't dig deep into movies, once again, just don't have any clue that someone is playing that music. And usually they're watching a lot of times they are watching the film and getting a feel for it. But you probably didn't have that luxury when you're making a movie within 48 hours. So, uh, no, he did. He did it with the script and the concept. And he literally, we had a, we had a group chat the entire time so we could kind of coordinate it. Cause, um, cause we filmed mostly in Cedar Falls, the Waterloo area. And the, the, where you draw the first, um, where you draw your premise is, uh, in Des Moines. So on the drive back, <laughs> We we started we had that chat we were talking about like what can we knock out first and in this group chat Michael Duty sends even twelve hours in I think it was like one a.m. he sends sheet music of the intro and I'm like you're a madman yeah <laughs> yeah I love it <laughs> well um I, I guess we should get onto our topic of the day I don't really have a, a smooth transition I was trying to think of one with like. John Williams is a little bit of a spoiler, but if you're reading the uh, podcast description, it's no surprise what we're going to talk about today. But um, Mm -hmm. we had been talking about doing this podcast and I didn't want to bother you because I just know that you're (laughs) an insanely busy person. So I was like, I'll let him come to me. And um, I had taken a month off for SNAF and and other things going on and taken a little bit of a break off the podcast. And you happened to reach out and you had a night off that I also had off and uh, you, you listed a few films that you had not seen and um one of them was the movie we're talking about tonight and it's from 1975 it's jaws there is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change without passion and without logic it lives to kill a mindless eating machine it will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. (laughs) This is Universal's extraordinary motion picture version of Peter Benchley's best-selling novel, Jaws. I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. You yell, 
called Barracuda. Everybody says, huh, what? You yell shark. So we've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Is it true that most people get attacked by sharks in three feet of water, about 10 feet from the beach? Yeah. What we are dealing with here is a perfect engine, uh, an eating machine. We're not only going to have to close the beach, we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark. Bad fish. But I'll catch him and kill him. Did you hear your father out of the water now? This shark, swallow you whole. You're going to need a bigger boat. That's a 20-footer. 25. Three tons of them. Hurry up, he's coming straight for us. Don't screw it up now. Don't wait for me. Now! Shoot! fantasies of evil and compare with the reality of Jaws. Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, Jaws. See it before you go swimming. Okay, so Jaws was released June 20th, 1975, based on the novel by, by Peter Benchley. Uh, he was also a co-writer with Carl Gottlieb and, of course, directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, the score was famously composed by John Williams, who was ranked number six by the American Film Institute on their list of the 25 greatest film scores. Um, stars Roy Scheider as Brody, Robert Shaw as Quint, and Richard Dreyfuss as Hooper. So, Emil, this is your first time watching Jaws. Um, what, what took you so long? Um. <laughs> I had a very sheltered childhood <laughs> and I actually missed out on a lot of classics <laughs> so this is one of those that I hadn't gotten to uh, catching up on yet and I'm actually really glad that I had just seen it now um, I, I think I think I got to enjoy it in a different lens than uh I would have maybe like when I was a kid. <laughs> oh yeah. Um this is one I actually didn't really get to. I mean I every I feel like we're all born with this like somehow this like part in our brain where we know the dun and we like mm. associate it with the fin. Like we all sort of know what Jaws is, but like uh, it's one it's like Friday thirteenth to me or some of these other like major movies where everybody thinks they've seen it, but have they really seen it from front to back? And can remember everything about it because I didn't I don't think I really saw this until maybe middle or early high school. And um, when I really got into film and I, of course, I, I appreciated it. But I think as an, like every rewatch, I like it even more. Um, mm -hmm. It's 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 an adult movie like it's not you know, it's it's three um, three adult men going on this journey. And it's like every year I get older, I can relate a little bit more to some of the characters. 
but yeah. uh on, on here i don't celebrate like I, I we do celebrate that um we get to introduce people to movies for the first time so going into it like what did you know about Jaws? I mean, you you under, obviously knew there was a shark and you knew, probably knew the theme <laughs> and Steven Spielberg, but what did you go, like, what did you know going into this? Um, I, I it, it's interesting because uh, Jaws is one of those movies that is so ingrained into pop culture and its lexicon that, like, that I would, I, I didn't think I knew as much as I did until I got to certain scenes in this movie, and I'm like, oh, a lot of references suddenly make sense. Oh, yeah, sense. yeah. Um, like uh, Quint uh, <laughs> scratching on the chalkboard mm-hmm. and, and getting the, the town meeting's attention. Like, I've seen that parodied so many times that by the time I, I, I saw the original scene, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I've already seen this. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's small stuff like that. Um, John Williams score, you know, the two, dun, dun, dun. Um, let's see, what else, what else did I know coming into this? Um, besides those, the, uh, you're going to need a bigger boat line. I just kept waiting for it because like, that's the only line I knew. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, yeah, that I would say is the line of the movie, but, um, it's, it's sort of crazy, like looking back on everything about this movie how it went down and the lore behind it i mean there might not be another movie with more backstory and urban legends behind it like when i was putting together some of the the trivia that i usually do towards the end of the show um imdb Mm -hmm. i just kept scrolling i'm like i just can't pick things out of this like there's just way too much um but this the story is so 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 simple but it's so effective and we just don't have movies like this anymore but um you know, it's is obviously based on a novel. Um, Spielberg mm-hmm. had this idea. He was like a fresh, green, new actor at the time. Not the Spielberg that we know today that just, you know, they bo- they, they back up truckloads of money for him and he gets to do <laughs> he anything does. he wants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll just remake West Side Story. Who does that? Spielberg. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's like this dynamic duo of Spielberg and John Williams was born out of this movie. Um, and... I watch it. I rewatch it every Fourth of July. To me, it's the quintessential summer movie, um, oh, and it's yeah. you know, and I've seen it at home viewings. I've seen it at the Capitol with uh, a small group of people. I think uh, Mike from Napoli's. He said he watched it as a kid at the at the Capitol, and so uh, one time he ran out the theater for all the Napoli employees to watch it, and I thought that was so cool. Like, oh, that's awesome. It was when I th- they usually go on vacation in August, and you know, he's like, "Can we just rent it out for all of us?" Sure. So. That was his pick, and um, overall, like, what was your impression? You, I assume you enjoyed it. Oh my gosh, I loved it. <laughs> Good. I, I'm still going on a streak, like on both ends. I have yet to have a guest experience a movie they they didn't like or at least um, hated. Like, I have some that were sort of lukewarm, but it, it's been I, we're on a pretty good streak here, and I figured. You know, even if you you didn't like Jaws, it'd probably you'd probably be like, oh shit, I can't say I don't like Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> I I get I get, oh I get roasted. Um, no, I I really I genuinely loved it. Um, I, so hearing that trailer for the first time, I I I just want to talk about the trailer real quick. Oh, it, it gives away everything. <laughs> oh yeah, all of it, all of the movie, and, yeah. and I don't know if it's comforting or. Or not that that trend in Hollywood is goes back that far, and the other thing is like I I I kind of miss having narrators and trailers. I I think that 
I think that faded out in, in the middle. No, gosh, in early two thousands, because I still, I even still remember like narrator trailers thing happening for like I want to say the trailer for Hitch. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, it just sort of like like phased out like it wasn't cool anymore. I think I still think it's cool. It <laughs> I'm still it contributes it, to the escapism, I think. Yeah, I'm waiting and I don't maybe it is a trend, but it's like I I'm finding myself watching less and less trailers because um I just I'm trying to go into things as new as I can. Like as mm. as we're recording this, I'm going to go see uh Nina DaCosta's Candyman tomorrow night and I've seen like some of the teasers and stuff because they play in front of YouTube videos, but I have avoided the full trailers. Mm-hmm. Um all the articles like Something I really anticipate like that, I really want to be taken back by. But um, I, I was looking through YouTube for different trailers for this, and there was a teaser that was way less spoilerly, mm-hmm. but it didn't have any of those classic lines. It didn't have. Uh, I love the end of that trailer that I played, where it's like Roy Scheider as Brody, Robert <laughs> Shaw as Quint. Like it's just this like weird, and, and it's. I'm surprised that like with everything old becoming new again, that we aren't seeing that in more trailers. I know that like Tarantino used them for Grindhouse and that kind of stuff, but it was more of a novelty where it's like in horror, especially we're getting all these synth scores that are, you know, basically copying off of John Carpenter from the seventies <laughs> and eighties. It's like, why aren't we getting the trailers with a narration again? Uh, and yeah, it's, it's interesting that even back then, I mean, that gave away like, the entirety yeah the entire the end like they're they're talking about the end of the movie right there it's like well i guess i don't need to see it now but um yeah um i would i would say give give it five years and there's there's a nostalgia wave happening right now and and i think i think it's probably up there if not i shoot maybe i'll find a way to (laughs) yeah make some promo material like that yeah it's uh well it's interesting because you, you talked a little bit about this being like such a huge piece of pop culture um it's still everywhere. It's I'd say it's even more popular now because you can go to like any Kohl's or any like basic department store, uh, even like Walmart. And there's like three different Jaws shirts you can pick out. I mean, it's like every summer they come back out with new tanks and different things. But uh, it's not just that, you know, there's there's Jaws, everything, pinball machines, video games. Uh, it just I'm I'm sitting at my desk by my mic and I'm looking at this pin set I got from Mondo with like the shark and then the girl swimming from the beginning. Uh, it's, and it's crazy to think that in 75, this was rated PG. It starts off with a girl getting completely naked and getting murdered by a shark. That was wait, that was PG. <laughs> yes, there was no PG 13 until the mid 80s when Spielberg actually championed for it because of gremlins. Uh, he thought there needs to be something between let the kids in and um, R, you know, but there was nothing between PG and R and there's a lot of gray area in there. And like, and to me, this I'm surprised this didn't get an R. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I watched that opening scene. And I'm like, well, that wasn't expected. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> Spielberg's not known for um, gratuitous violence or any of that, um, but he created a pretty scary movie here. Uh, yeah. and we won't go through it beat by beat but it's, it, the way it kicks off is like at a beach party a girl runs off from the party sort of flirting with a guy leading him on um mm-hmm. she gets naked jumps in the water and he passes out because he's obviously drunk or high and she gets taken under and it's like right away we get a shark attack but we never see the shark mm-hmm. obviously we're, we're watching jaws so we know it's not like an eel or something yeah. but uh 
it's i i love that mystery that he i don't think we see a shark for like like we see fins the first fin we see is isn't real it's like a kid pretending but we don't actually see a shark i think for like half hour 45 minutes into this movie and the patience that spielberg had you know and the faith that he had an audience to wait that long so that would pay off when we finally see it really pay it does pay off but you know there's all the lore about this this the fact that the mechanical sharks didn't work like they were supposed to they went like twice as long as the the shooting schedule went like over by like twice as much uh the budget like doubled um you know uh they joke like uh Richard Dreyfus joked that Spielberg got fired every single day. They're like, every day he'd show up and they're like, you, you, we're going to fire you if you do this. And he would do it. And it's like, well, we've already shot this much movie. We had to keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, of course, down the line, it becomes the, the first summer blockbuster. At the time of its release, it became the highest grossing, like most profitable film of all time, um, even with this inflated budget. But before this, uh, there was never like summer blockbusters like pe- now, you know, obviously now this year and last year, things are a little different, but um, <laughs> it was like every summer we'd get, you know, these huge, huge blockbusters and Jaws was that first one on accident. Like they just they put it out in the summer um, used to be a dumping ground because they assumed everyone wanted to be outside. No one wanted to sit in the theater. Um, huh. Yeah. And this came out and it was like that changed everything. It changed how studios released films and, and viewed the summer. But um was this at all like were were you pretty much expecting it to to be like this or was were there any surprises for you um tonally i was actually pretty pleasantly surprised um cuz cuz from what i had known about jaws i i i thought that it was a more stereotypical thriller but that uh that first hour or so before uh before the shark appears is very hitchcockian like mm-hmm. the, it builds on the suspense um john williams score uh i i like that like subconsciously like you you uh associate it with the shark and like and and there's like there's there's so many so many things that play against like what i know as a modern summer blockbuster that that just uh, are executed really well here like and and even like they they play with the sound association near the end like there's i think there's an attack where it just happens out of nowhere no cue no nothing (laughs) right and it takes you by surprise yeah yeah i think it's like I, i mentioned a little bit earlier but it's like we don't really get a whole lot of like this feels like an adult movie like uh we have these three main characters that sort of represent different um like classes i mean it's three white guys but you know we have yeah, yeah. we have <laughs> brody who's the new chief of police he he really has no idea what he's doing coming into this beach town it's clear that he came from like the city mm-hmm. um we have shaw who plays quint uh he's my favorite the grizzly sort of uh beer beer drinking shark killing macho dude um, and then Hooper, who's like the young smartass who thinks he's smarter than everybody, but he's also um, mm-hmm. the least experienced. Uh, and it's their chemistry together is just so perfect. Like if they oh, would have yeah. not like miscast any of these roles, this could have been disastrous. I, I agree because I gosh, uh, Quint Quint kind of steals the scene anytime. Oh he, yeah, he appears. 
and then <laughs> Hooper, I I found it really interesting. Like at, at this point, this movie is almost fifty years old, and and Hooper is still his his role has aged well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, watch like I said earlier, watching it as an adult, it's like you see Brody going through these not only the the qualms of becoming this new chief of police but uh he's trying to raise kids and and make sure his wife is also getting enough attention and that you know he's not just he he's he's stressed the hell out being in this new position like i can't imagine being thrown into the fire and then right away you know people are getting killed by sharks and it's crazy how relevant this is today we won't get too political but it's like the mayor, you know, at Vaughn is like, I mean, he's like, we got to keep the beaches open. Uh, you know, capitalism, like these, these businesses, they can't be closed. It's like, is Jaws is almost like COVID in a way, you know? Um, oh gosh. Yeah. I mean that parallel, you can't ignore it now, but it's just like him arguing, like, I know there's a risk that people could be attacked by a shark, but we can't let them know that because that could, you know, we can't, sh- we can't close the shops at summer. Like all these people depend on this, this money. And it's it's a lot like you know businesses and restaurants right now, mm-hmm. but you know this is this is a classic movie. I mean, it's, it has ninety eight percent fresh. It's ninety eight percent fresh on t- Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know how much weight that carries, you know, for people. I mean, obviously it's a beloved movie, and you're gonna have a hard time finding anyone who has a lot of bad things to say about it. But um, no, there's the scenes that stick out to me. Obviously, you know, the opening. Um, the, the scene I, I think is actually not discussed a whole lot that I think is really fantastic is when, uh, when Hooper shows up to Brody's house, like after mm-hmm. that first day they meet and he sits down and, uh, Brody's like having dinner with his wife and he's like, you know, drinking the whole glass of wine. He's stressed the hell out. Yeah. I just love their chemistry there. Cause his wife is Ellen is sort of like you know, oh, can you know, have you eaten? Come sit down. And they're sitting at the table discussing. And it's like, we don't get a lot of this like character development in a movie about a shark. Like, yeah, we just don't get that anymore. Like now we just have like audiences are so um, their attention spans are so short that it's just like, all right, let's let's get to the shark killing. Let's go. Let's go. And yeah. and this is like we really flesh these characters out, each of them. Um, we we do get like Quint is is a big mystery. And I think that's part of his strength is that you know we don't know a lot of his background um but as far as hooper and especially brody as our lead um Mm -hmm. and and then looking back at like 75 i know roy scheider handsome dude but like richard dreyfuss and robert shaw is like looking back they're not the typical hollywood guys of that time you know uh but they picked who was like who who could give the best performances they're believable like you know i'm glad that they didn't just hire like some super handsome guy as an oceanographer uh and and quint is just so grisly and and believable i just i i love these characters so much and it's it's crazy that you can fit three huge personalities into this movie and it somehow works because usually you try doing it's like three leads and usually they're battling for screen time uh yeah you know and and it's it's almost like a no-no but um somehow spielberg makes it work like he always does oh yeah and and maybe maybe it's just a just a difference in like the movie making climate um because i think screenwriters these days are probably more inclined to like get the inciting incident out of the way as soon as possible you know set, set everything up but like like i said that like that first hour is is uh not you you get that character building you get 
um I, I saw a review where it was like it's almost it's almost more of like an adventure drama than a, than a thriller mm-hmm. and, and and i think that's that's so accurate like you it feels weird to say this but you get you get a decent amount of like character building and world building in in this like closed uh closed portion of Nightmare Island like like by by the time you're an hour in like you you know you know a ton <laughs> right about uh, all the islanders how how people feel about it um you know how how much they're looking forward for the summer like like it, it it's it's definitely set differently than how a lot of movies are made right now right unless they're like slow burns yeah and and it's weird because i'm guessing at the time this came out it, it like was not at all considered a slow burn mm-hmm. but um i just love like the character of brody um we it's not just that he's a chief of police he's he's got a son you know and mm-hmm. and i mean it's so heavy because it's like we we get introduced to his wife and his son and we, we learn about him but it comes back it's there for a reason because like later in the movie you know um there's when he makes the decision based on the pressure to not close the beaches because it could affect everybody's the economy of amity island um a kid ends up dying yeah a kid ends up dying and you know he tried his hardest and and really tried to make make them close it and, and he was laughed at and considered paranoid as he sat on the beach and and freaked out at any any flinch of anybody but a kid ends up dying and then of course you know the mother comes up and slaps him in public you know and and that's heavy because it's it's not it's not a humorous scene because he, you know he has a son and it's like mm-hmm. he's struggling because that could have been his son that could have been anybody you know and it's it's like it's it's very heavy on on that where it's like everybody associates it everybody thinks of the shark but it's really the shark is just sort of there to humanize these characters exactly and you know even to that point like it plays well to i'm like i don't know if i should say well it plays to the marriage character like when the first kid dies he's kind of ambivalent but 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 the but the uh, attack that uh that brody's son is there for Mm -hmm. that's the one that shakes up the mayor because that's the one his kid was at the beach at for it, it, it the first two didn't matter until his kids were in danger yeah and you know once again like i said i won't get too political but it's we've seen that a lot now where it's like <laughs> it, it doesn't affect me until it happens to someone i know and then you know it's too mm-hmm. late but um it's I, I absolutely love you know our intro to quint they're having this town hall meeting and everybody's everybody's more concerned about you can't possibly close the beaches and mm-hmm. brody's trying to say you know there's a freaking shark killing people and everybody's doubting it. Oh, well, you know, it's one person or, you know, anything could have happened. Um, and then he does the nails across the chalkboard and it's just like the coolest intro to this badass Quint. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I just always have had such a, not a crush, but just an ad- admiration for this character. Cause it's like, you, you could not have him in a modern movie. He's, uh, he's like no. the quintessential seventies. <laughs> he, he drinks like the little tin beer cans. <laughs> He crushes them. He has the the filthy hat, the gnarly sideburns. I mean, if there's like, if you look up macho in the dictionary, it has Quint next to it um, or Grizzly, I guess. But yeah, uh, yeah. you know, then then when we get to to know him a little bit better later, he he sort of just pitches like, "You give me this much money, I'll 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 bring you the shark." What's he say? I'll bring you the head, the tail, the whole thing. 
Yep. Um, yep. And, you know, when we, find, when we go to his, like, little lair where he's boiling shark jaws, um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting because he's, like, playing with them with tongs. It's like, what are you, you, you going to burn the bones? Like, you know, once the, the stuff is off the, the bones, I don't think you can really damage them much. But uh, it's, a, it's a cool image that, you know, he, he kills so many sharks that he collects their literal jaws. Yeah. Um, you know, it's such a badass in, in contrast to Brody, who is sort of played as like the paranoid guy who's who's afraid of everything. And and of course, we get this crazy scene where, you know, all these people in Amity are like, we're going to go get the shark ourselves. And they're convinced they're just all going to pile on these boats and go kill it. Yeah. Um, it, it, even at the own detriment of their own safety, like you know, Gosh. yeah, they're like uh, Hooper. I think tells Brody like, "There's too many guys on that boat," and he's like, "I can't control him." I'm, it's I, I always wonder watching this. I'm like, man, he needs some backup, like some real other. <laughs> it, it feels like he's one cop, and that's all they have in the entire island. It's like you need more people. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, they finally. They finally do kill a shark, bring it up. And one of my favorite scenes is when, you know, they, they think they have the shark and they bring it up and Hooper's arguing like the the mouth circumference doesn't fit the bite marks on the victim of the girl that yeah. got killed. Like the only way we can know is cut it open. And he says something like, you know, that looks more like a tiger shark. And my favorite one of my favorite, most ridiculous, weird scenes in this movie is when the actor is listening. He's like a, a, a fisherman and he stops. He goes, a what? That that scene always, st- oh, what? yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> it's like such his accent, the way he says it. That actor is so strange, but it just it's like brings a little bit of humor into this sort of sad movie at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, it's the the dialogue that they have when they're out on the sea right before the the ship starts uh, going down, like when they're they're drunk in the middle of the night talking. Yeah. That that scene is so good. Like that is that should be shown to to like students who are wanting to make films and actors who want to act because like those three having that it feels like they sat those three in and just told them like tell your war stories it's so believable oh yeah uh, they're they're going around showing each other their scars it's so cool yeah I I have to agree with you on that one and it's just a it's just an, a great example of. A great characters being written and then great actors being given the room to really embody that i i i've had that i've kind of had this issue um in in the local filmmaking community because i think people get caught up on either like the concept whether it's a high or low concept movie or or like advancing the plot that like you 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 have to give the actors some room to, to characterize and 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 really flesh out the movie. The, and and that that has to come from the script, and that has to come from, I mean, it has to come from everywhere. Like you, you have to make room for it. Yeah, I've I've never read the novel, but I've always been sort of curious, like how. I mean, the the writer of the novel was the co-writer of the screenplay for this. So, mm. you know, Spielberg did not write any of it, but um, I feel like he gets a lot of credit for this stuff. But it's like, man, like, I wonder how much of that is in the actual novel and how much of it was improv and how much was actually written. But it's so it's so good. Like, it's just three guys who are who have been at each other's throats the entire movie. Um 
disagreeing on just basically everything, finally sort of laying back, getting comfortable and being themselves. It's like mm-hmm. I just every time I watch a movie, I have to like make sure the phone's off. I'm like, focus. I love that scene. Something about it uh, is just so iconic in this movie. Um, I mean, this this film has, I think, th- three sequels. Uh, yeah, there's there's up to Jaws four. Um, Oof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Unless you just like enjoy a good laugh, I mean, Jaws Jaws three is in three D. Um, they're pretty bad. Part two, not not god awful, but they get worse as they go along. But um, of course, Spielberg and uh, John Williams, like none of the none of the people involved in the first movie really are involved in the second. I think uh, Brody comes back, but uh, mm. I heard on set, like I was reading that, uh, and it's I think it's sort of lore is like. Uh, Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss sort of just hated each other's guts, which made the acting a little easier that they always were at um, each other's throats. But uh, I know Richard Dreyfuss is sort of notoriously hard to work with. And and a lot of people think he's sort of an asshole. Um, He's still I think, yeah, he's still with us. Uh, I don't think Robert Shaw. I know Roy Schneider died pretty young. Mm -hmm. um, So I think Richard is the only one that's still with us. He even did like a cameo in Piranha. I mean, yeah, he's doing the convention, convention, signing autographs and stuff. But uh, yeah, the the other two aren't are unfortunately not with us because you know that someone would try to make like a reboot of it. But um, oh, gosh, I I know that there's there's like every five years or so, um, I think Universal sort of comes up and they're like, let's let's revive the draw thing. And I think Spielberg basically until he's gone and his estate can sort of make those decisions, he's basically has the right to tell them no jaws like he was producer on back to the future so no back to the future no et reboots like this guy you know he created these things and i'm like you know thank god he has the sense of mind to like not he could capitalize on it and make a a boatload of money for doing no work but he has some integrity so Mm -hmm. um, i'm happy for that but the moment that we finally see the shark like when uh brody's like throwing the chum out and they're trying to catch it and it pops up in the background holy shit that still scares me like every time i know it's coming (laughs) and his reaction is so perfect because we see it from behind and he turns and looks at it and he's like jolted and he doesn't he doesn't know what to say he doesn't like start yelling like oh god there's he he just is breathless like he he steps Mm -hmm. back like and that's how i sort of felt especially you know the first time i saw it but it's like every time i still feel that the the real fear of like jesus christ sings bigger than our actual boat yeah and I, I think that, gosh, that moment reminds me of, like, a really good act, acting mentality to have. I, I, think, I think the best acting comes from, not from, like, displaying as much emotion as possible, but, uh, like, barely keeping it in. And, like, in, in that moment, he's, like, like the, 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 the most straightforward actor would be, like, oh, my God, a shark. And, like, no, no, it's, like, there's, there's awe. It's a, it's a mix of feelings and it's perfect (laughs) so yeah that's a thing i was gonna ask you too is like you know did that did that like scare you the first i mean you're watching for the first time you didn't you you probably knew that there was gonna be a point but that's like our first clear view of the shark we've seen the fin we've heard the music but that's like that's one of the scenes where they're not playing the music it's just boom comes out of nowhere um i guess less scared than than shock um I, I think I'm a little desensitized to stuff. Oh like, yeah, that that almost feels like, 
yeah, a precursor to like jump scares, like mm-hmm. just the way that like the suspense is it pays off once it's revealed. Yeah, uh, I think the other sort of um, notorious big scare in this, obviously that one, but the other one is like where they're under when they're out looking at night and they dive oh, yep. into the boat and the head comes out like. As that a, actually that one that one kind of got me. <laughs> I, I, that, and that's definitely a jump scare. The no, they make the like yeah. you know um, I think the violin screech right as it falls down and uh, it's it's crazy <laughs> to think like Spielberg like this is you know you can call it a thriller a drama but there's a lot of horror elements in this and he hasn't really ever done since then like a, a straight up horror. He the closest thing I would say he's done is Jurassic Park where it was like an adventure thriller. I mean it's it's really a similar movie with dinosaurs instead of a shark. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, and gosh, that <laughs> the underwater gets me just because like I I'm I'm bad at body body horror and like seeing the like features on that guy is just like ah oh, oh I can't do it. <laughs> I I'm not a water person, so this movie in general freaks me out. Like I know oh, wow. yeah. the uh, Alamo Draft House they do outdoor summer screenings on like lakes every year where they like have a oh, screen no. and people sit on um, inner tubes in the dark. Like I wouldn't do that in the light, let alone in the <laughs> dark. <laughs> sitting in a body of water and it seems like a an insurance nightmare in its own like you get people drinking and on the water watching a movie but uh i don't think i'm not a swimmer i don't i don't i get wet to take showers and that's about it i don't like water (laughs) um but that would that's like my ultimate fear i mean they, they talk about how this did to beaches what uh psycho did for showers you know for for like the the 50s the generation ahead of us i don't know if we have really i guess i i think the closest in in the movie is not at all comparable but i always think the the thing we have is probably like final destination 2 with the logs on the back of a truck no no that's the perfect analogy (laughs) (laughs) like like anybody from our generation that sees that moves changes lanes on the highway like nope not dealing with that uh, you know, like I said, not not at all the similar as far as the movie's quality goes, but um, something that really affected us, because I think like, you know, looking back at this, like they said, you know, people for months after seeing this were just like, I'm not going in the water because they thought this was, you know, and my <laughs> my boss is a scuba diver. And, uh, you know, I always like hearing his insights. He He's a big advocate for sh- for sharks. He hates that, like people hunt them and, and eat them or kill them. He thinks they get a bad rep. And he has all kinds of pictures and videos with him swimming with sharks and stuff. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I think if we were meant to be in the water, we would have, you know, gills. We we can't even breathe underwater. Like, we don't belong there, man. And there's a reason that they, you know, that animals down there kill us. The, the, it's like outer space and deep sea are the two places that we don't we don't need to go, man. Like, I don't <laughs> know. There, there's things that we've never seen, and I hope we never do down there. Well, a majority of the ocean is still uh, unexplored. Yeah, yeah, and that freaks me out more than anything, man. Like that it's there, and we just there's just no way for us to ever explore it. You know, at least right now with what we have uh, for technology. But uh, eventually, in the movie, we do get to the point where you know we see what they call Bruce, and and on the <laughs> on the set they call him Bruce, but you know we know him as Jaws or just the Great White Shark, um, mm-hmm. and. They're basically on this like shitty little sinking boat fighting for their lives at this point. They were after the shark and now the shark's after them. Like they they get to the point where they they think they have a chance at getting him. They shoot him with like a harpoon and, and try to use these barrels to drag him. And he's just too big. He takes their boat and just, yeah. And, and Quint finally meets his match. And 
man, that's even that, like thinking of how this is like PG, it's like, holy shit, he has a very grisly death. I mean, <laughs> traumatizing kids out here. <laughs> I know. It's like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, again, like I, I've said it a million times, but it's like you think of this movie is like Spielberg. It's a, it's a shark movie, but there, when it gets grisly, like the head scene and this scene, you know, it's it's scary realistic it's not like chop off his head or like like pull off, like you know bite off his head but he's like spitting out blood and slowly yeah. going and it's the foley is like crunch crunch uh, yeah i i texted <laughs> i texted a friend while i was watching it i was like huh the 70s when they weren't afraid to kill off kids <laughs> yeah 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 uh they yeah they go after the woman in the inner tube earlier in the movie too like they they go after like kids women it does not matter and that's what sort of i think makes it so effective is that you know everybody's at danger all the time if you're on the water (laughs) yeah if you're on the water you're not safe and uh you know and it's and it's like so relevant that people just aren't they're like so um they feel so invincible they're like you know i I can go in the water they won't come after me um but you know this movie like you said such a big piece of pop culture it's like can you really even go on the water without sort of thinking about like looking for a shark fin or thinking of that theme and um i had read that uh when john williams played like some of the sample score for uh spielberg like spielberg thought he was joking at first and then like Mm -hmm. when they put it to film he's like oh i get it now like you're actually a genius like (laughs) you know he, he was like two notes like what is this is i hired you to compose something not like fuck around but back then like there's there's some really cool footage on youtube of them i absolutely love this video of them um, working on the score for et together and spielberg has this little tiny projector and he's playing like a scene just on the wall in john williams house and he's sitting at this piano and he's just sort of like playing with notes playing with notes and finally he like finds it like by playing like playing with the keys and he's like starts playing it and it's just like you can hear it come alive and it's just like there's something Mm -hmm. different in these guys there's something in his brain where he can watch a film and come up and and create emotions and it's like the other stuff at at jurassic park um harry potter i mean the guy has the most impressive resume as far as as film scores go but you look back at jaws and how simplistic the score was i'm just i'm still like amazed by it you know oh yeah oh yeah it's 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 incredible you know and and like i said a lot of a lot of talk has always been like we don't see the shark for like the first 45 minutes because the mechanical sharks weren't working like they're supposed to and uh you know they and this that i don't i i think that's been ramped up quite a bit because i think (laughs) spielberg you look at his later movies and maybe he learned it from this movie that could be argued, but I think he was a good enough storyteller and smart enough to know that if you make people wait on the edge of their seats to see that shark, when it finally comes, it's a big payoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause a lot of people seem to think, you know, well, he did, he only showed the shark like a handful of times because he physically could only do it. And, and it looked fake when you did see it. And I'm like, I think there might be a little truth to that, but I really just think that I give Spielberg credit for just being a good filmmaker and knowing that less is more in this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does certainly build the lore, but after 50 years of a, a film being out, being one of the most iconic films of all time, I think that that just kind of happens. <laughs> are you a big Spielberg fan? Like what are some of your other favorites from him? Uh, I have to admit that I, uh, 
I haven't seen much of Spielberg's uh, uh filmography. And have you seen <laughs> Have you seen Jurassic Park? Uh bits and pieces. I've never sat down and watched the whole thing through. I might have to have that you might back be, for that one. That might be next on my list because because I, I I did watch um I did watch the first Indiana Jones, but like not in like a. It's more like, huh? I should probably do this, but I, I I guess I didn't. I didn't pay as much attention as I should have, and I, I think I think I I might just do that again now that I've like gone further back because because that like even near the end I can see like where Spielberg starts to like kind of develop that what he what he puts into Indiana Jones later on, like is that timeline right? Yeah, 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 yeah. and it's. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, you're, like, a generation... How old are you? You're younger than I am. I know that, but how old are you? I just turned 28 last week. Okay, so I am 35. I grew up with an older brother who is, like, I th- he's about to turn 40, um, or he mm. did just turn... And so in our household, we were very poor growing up, so um, 80s movies were, like, what we had. Like, my brother what he watched was what me and my sister watched. So I grew up like I was not an eighties kid. I was born in 85, but Mm -hmm. I was not technically an eighties kid, but I watched eighties movies because that's what my brother grew up on. And so like, you know, Indiana Jones, star Wars, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, ghostbusters, all that. Like I grew up watching a lot of that stuff, but I, you know, nineties movies are more my thing. So like, it's interesting that, Steven Spielberg sort of went from like 70s with Jaws. He had in the 80s, the Indiana Jones, 90s, he did Jurassic Park. He just, he has like a defining movie in every Each generation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he did, you know, he, he was um, filming uh, Schindler's List as he was like editing Jurassic Park. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And he said he had a hard time like in his headspace, like going in, he would go in and watch the dailies and like help them like work on Jurassic Park. And he had a hard time like, cleansing his palate and going back into filming you know the the saddest fucking movie of all time in schindler's list it's like how do you go from like dinosaurs to you know uh <laughs> schindler's list schindler's <laughs> list yeah i also haven't seen i haven't seen that i haven't seen et i'm, I'm a uh, bad filmmaker man <laughs> no no i i think that's great and you know what like i i think there's so much weight on like uh, on admitting that like i i love that you're telling me this because I celebrate on the show like there's I, I have never sat from front to back and watched Schindler's List. Um, There's a lot of Spielberg that I haven't seen either. Like I've seen, you know, uh, Jurassic Park and stuff, but it's like if I didn't have an older brother, I probably wouldn't have. And I actually uh, like Nikki had never seen uh, Jurassic Park until we were like dating. And I was like, oh, you haven't seen that? We should watch it. And it was it was one of those things where her mom was like, I don't think you should watch it. Probably scare you you know, and <laughs> it has never happened. And, and, you know, it's like, you've probably seen a lot of cool stuff that I haven't seen. Um, you know, I have a huge list and people are always surprised to hear what's on the list, but I think it's important to, to not only like say it out loud and, and say that you haven't seen it, but it's, it's so much fun to experience things. And it, it's, it's sort of interesting experiencing it for the first time for a podcast, because it sort of feels like homework. I'm like, Hey, Emil, like, Kinda. yeah, I'm like, you know, here's your assignment. Like, just watch Jaws before the night that we record. I, I sometimes wonder if if the way you're consuming it, it in general, like it works both ways for me, because 
you know, I, I have another, I'm on another podcast where we watch three horror movies, um, and record every other week. And a lot of times that does feel like Homer because it's not stuff I want to watch. It's yeah. like, Oh, you know, I, it's like a drag where in this case, when you said you wanted to watch jaws or the other one that you mentioned was the Godfather. I was mm. excited for jaws, not just because it's summer and to me it, it's very fitting. Um, but mm. also, and people are probably going to hit like delete right after I say this, but I think <laughs> the Godfather's sort of overrated and it might be because I watched it later in life. Like, you know, I, it was one of those movies I did not watch until like probably 10 years or so ago. And it had been built up so many times over the years as the, that and Citizen Kane are the best of all time. I've never seen Citizen Kane. Same. <laughs> yeah. And it's like it, this, this stigma that, as a filmmaker, as someone who, you know, as someone who makes content or someone who runs a film festival or whatever, you know, in our film circle, that it's like a crime to not see something. It's like, oh, man, <laughs> it, it should be celebrated, not only because like someone gets to introduce it to you and you get to experience it for the first time, but also like it's it's fine, like that you're not influenced by everything. You know, it's it's all a matter of opinion. Like, you know, yeah. I don't know. I I. My friends used to give me a lot, a lot of flack for not watching this, but like, and and, but my argument is like I I, I touched up on this on the in the cinematic Heartland podcast a bit, but I, I think, I think I do. It's hard for me to remember right now, but uh, what I can at least say is that like, yeah, I've missed out on like these giant landmarks of movies, but I'm at least confident that I could say like I'm not. When I when I write or I try to tell stories or I'm shooting or anything, I'm I'm not trying to emulate these like larger than life uh, like movies at this point. Like uh, I'm just doing the things that feel natural to me. Like I and and then if I want to go back, I can appreciate it in this way. Like I it did it did kind of feel a little bit like homework, but like at the same time, like I I'm think that I'm treating the material with like the kind of attention that I it should be getting or some variant of that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, it's actually cool because like you're watching it later in life after you've had experience behind and in front of the camera, maybe, you know, you have more of an appreciation for it than you would have if you watched it as a kid where you just were like, you know, this is just a popcorn flick where I'm watching a, a shark go after some guys, you know, yeah, it's like, it's, you can appreciate everything from John Williams score down to a performance in it where when you were a kid, you just, it's just a movie. You know? Well, even, even some of the shots, uh, even shots, the shots that the DP gets in this are just like, wow. Like I didn't, I, I was just never aware of like how great this movie is as a standalone. Like, like, and, and even at, like, even in the credits, I noticed that like the film editor was like, one of the first names put out and i i can't i cannot imagine editing on film like that's something that is just in yeah it's not something that i can like envision <laughs> yeah yeah the actual like going through film reels physical film and editing yeah watching money burn as you <laughs> yeah flub your line yeah. like yeah it's crazy to me and um, and on imdb it said most of the film was shot handheld to best counter uh man the ocean swell because Oh dear God! Yeah, yeah, uh, and and I I recommend like 
it's there's a lot of stuff on YouTube. Um, there's like making of and and behind the scenes stuff. Uh, some of that is like even more fascinating because just the way this was made. Um, like I said, we we sort of we all know Spielberg as a household name now as you know one of the most successful directors of not just our generation but of all time. But it's like at the time he was just a like a kid making a movie, you know, based yeah. on a book and and you know, he, he was obviously successful with this one and it granted, it opened up a lot of doors for him, but when he was making it, he was like, this is a disaster. Uh, <laughs> it's just some crazy, you know, stories like they, they made three mechanical bruises, um, each with specialized functions and, uh, they cost $250,000 each. And then oh for the most part, didn't even work. And it's like, can you imagine being on set and having these things just not working? It's like, what are we going to do? I guess on the spot, we just got to figure something out. Uh, you have to. Yeah. I think I saw a stat. Was it 155 days on set? Yeah. My God. Yeah. It started <laughs> as like half of that. And um, just because so many problems dealing with weather, dealing with the sharks, dealing with just everything, figuring out what the hell to do. And mostly, you know, they're mostly blaming the mechanical sharks because, uh, you know, that's an easy, easy out, you know, it's something you're not blaming a person you're blaming it's something, I guess you yeah. could blame the people who built them, but, uh, but an extra hundred days of shooting. I don't, I don't know. If yeah. Say all sharks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like some of the behind the scenes stuff watching that is, is absolutely fascinating. There's just so much with this movie. Um, it's in, of course, because of who he became, um, it just, you know, there's so many legends and there's there's a million podcasts covering. That's why I'm not going beat for beat on this one. Yeah. Yeah. But um, let's take a quick break and hear from the Prescribed Film Podcast Network. And then we'll come back with some of the trivia I found on IMDb. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So a little bit of trivia I found on IMDb that I thought was interesting. Like I I've, probably i've read books on this um there i mean there was even um a troubled ride at universal studios for years uh oh it's cursed it's well yeah cursed. it really was because they <laughs> they built this ride and it was you know the universal studios was going up head to head against um disney world and it was like you know who's gonna take on walt disney well they got steven spielberg involved so let's have an et ride let's have jaws the ride let's have uh indiana jones stunt show they basically put it on his shoulders and some of the stuff like that they were doing had never been done in a theme park. So they were rushing it. So they rushed this jaws, the ride where you would ride on a, a tour boat and then the sharks would start attacking you and there was fire. Well, apparently no one learned from the year 75 until like nineties, I think early nineties when they built this, that those sharks don't like mechanical sharks don't perform well oh, underwater. No. So oh, they, no. yeah, they had the same exact problems where it was like every time you go on a ride, these sharks wouldn't pop up where they're supposed to. So you're just riding a boat through a ride. And it's like the, the actor who's the poor actor who's probably making minimum wage, you know, pretending that he's he's a skipper or whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, would, would react to something and then no shark would come out and he just looks like an idiot. 
Uh, but uh it was infamous because they ended up like suing the company that um built the sharks because it cost them so much money they had to shut the ride down and it took a whole more a whole another year for them to like redo all the sharks and it never really worked like it was supposed to um it finally closed in i think 2014 when they replaced it with with uh diagon alley from harry potter um but a lot of the hardcore fans are are very still very upset that they took away jaws because it's not like they have like a men in black ride there. It's like, why is that not? Why is that still there? Men in black is not still relevant. Jaws is still relevant, you know? Yeah. Um, and of course it was featured in, I believe mall rats. They, uh, I don't know if you've seen Kevin Smith's mall rats, but they joke a lot about uh, Jaws the ride and he, they get married. Like characters get married at Jaws the ride at universal studios. <laughs> Oh, and then you, ha- you have to bring it back then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think it's still running in like, universal singapore or something outside of the country there's one theme park that still has it um but the u the u.s the two u.s parks in hollywood and florida got rid of it but um over 67 million people in the u.s went to see jaws when it was initially released in 1975 making it the first summer blockbuster Mm -hmm. um it was supposed to be released in theaters for christmas 1974 but because filming ran way over shooting schedule its release was pushed back to summer the following year um, back in 75, summer was traditionally when the worst movies were dumped into theaters as Americans typically enjoyed outdoors, but the film was so good, beachgoers actually flocked to see it, and the movie became the highest grossing film of all time up to that point. Uh, it became the first film to gross over $100 million at the box office, and the summer blockbuster was born. Um, but it only opened, which this, this one blew my mind, and I, I still always tell people take these uh, facts with a grain of salt because the internet is not the most reliable source but it says it opened on only 490 screens um within 78 days it had become the highest grossing film of all time i'm curious to see how 67 million people saw this on 490 screens, screens. they must have just like had showings from morning to night i don't know maybe i know with like john carpenter's halloween it opened on like less than 100 screens and then it became like a cultural phenomenon so every theater picked it up and Back then, it wasn't like it is now where a movie can sit in the theater for a week. Mm-hmm. It was like a movie would be in theaters for a year, you know. And, oh, yeah. And, and it wasn't like you could wait three months and get it on demand or on even on VHS. Back then, that wasn't even heard of. Um, but it's just crazy to think like movies would stay in theaters for a whole almost a whole year. There are some that did say a whole year. Um, and, you know, there weren't multiplexes. And... Yeah. Yeah. The speed of the industry hadn't picked up yet. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's sort of it's just I I find it fascinating that you know it's like it literally created the summer blockbuster on accident. Like if he wouldn't have gone over budget, if those sharks would have worked right, and he hadn't gone over budget and over time shooting, this could have came out in you know Christmas. Um, and then we'd be arguing whether Die Hard or Jaws is a Christmas movie. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but who knows, you know, if, if the Jaws, I mean, that, that's a whole debate, too, is if the, the sharks worked right as they were supposed to, maybe he would have showed them more, maybe the movie wouldn't have been as suspenseful or as good, and it wouldn't be remembered. I mean, it's a butterfly effect, a lot of what-ifs, but um, oh yeah, everything seemed, all, all the accidents that happened leading up to what it became seem to click and, and work right so that we're talking about it almost 50 years later um but uh i thought this one was interesting john williams conducted the orchestra during the 1976 academy awards 
So when it was announced that he won the Oscar for best score, he had to run up to the podium to accept his Oscar and then run back to continue conducting the orchestra who played him off for his award. <laughs> I love that. That's that's a great yeah. image in my head. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Like they still they had a live orchestra. I mean, I think they still do for the most part at the award shows, but it's like John, John freaking Williams, who's, you know, he's probably got a dozen Oscars by now. Uh, you know, was literally conducting and then go up, get your award and run back so they can play the song as he's supposed to be leaving the stage. I love that. <laughs> um, they, I guess uh, Spielberg named Bruce, the shark Bruce after his uh, lawyer. And of course, um, later, you know, everything from Finding Nemo, who named their shark Bruce, like Bruce. Yeah, it just came down, you know, a lot of homages to this movie because of that. Um, I always thought, it, you know, it was fascinating, like that something like a character that's just a shark you know people have to give it a name it's like why didn't we just call it jaws but we had it you know someone at some point figured out that he, he called it bruce on set and it became lore Bada boom. um the scene with the head falling out um i believe was shot in someone's pool like some like a dp like not the dp or or like a producer or somebody had a pool in their backyard and they needed this shot after they had wrapped or something to get more scares. And somehow they built this thing and, and they filmed huh. it all in a swimming pool. Wow. That's, that's really impressive actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I've, I've heard that before and looking like when I rewatched the movie, I sort of try to look out for it. I'm like, it's, I don't, I don't fall I can't for tell. it. Yeah. I yeah. don't like even knowing that I, I don't fall for it. So, um, good job as always. Uh, Originally, Steven Spielberg was not the director. The first director, Dick Richards, was fired after a meeting with producers and studio execs. In the meeting, he said that his opening shot would have the camera come out of the water to show the town. Then the whale would come out of the water. The producers said that they were not making Moby Dick and they would not work with someone who did not know the difference between a whale and a shark. Oof. <laughs> like, Just read the source material. <laughs> yeah, he sort of blew it in his uh, first meeting but uh <laughs> when a midwestern audience were shown an early cut of the film they were so shocked by the pop-up scare that occurs when the great white shark breaches the surface of the water as brody chums off the boat that the reactions drowned out his I iconic comment you're gonna need a bigger boat so um they went back and extended the sequence so that that reaction like they extended that a little bit so that we could actually hear the line because they knew audiences would be like screaming uh -huh. So they had to go back and re-edit and somehow fill in a little bit. So it's interesting because we talked about his like reaction being so genuine. Um, they had to just maybe they added just a little bit more silence or just, you know, just need a few more seconds to so that people could hear that line. Yeah. Uh, well, it definitely read well. <laughs> yeah, it says actually it says the filmmakers extended the sequence, adding another 35 foot of film to give the audience enough time to recover. Oh, that's a that's a cool fact yeah i like that yeah, yeah. it's like i i never like you talked about earlier like the film like putting it on actual film it's like when you put it into physical measurements 35 feet of film rather than like 12 seconds it's like it, it, to me it's more like like i don't know it's it, it, it's like holy shit that's that's a lot you know <laughs> it's like you don't people don't realize how much film was burned making movies oh yeah the more the more <laughs> the more i delve back into like these these classic movies the more respect i have for kevin smith and clerks <laughs> oh yeah yeah 
Yeah. Um, Spielberg said that when he first read the novel, he found himself rooting for the shark because the human characters were so unlikable. So I, I always wonder if they made them. I should just read the book, to be honest, because it's like I find the human characters pretty likable. Pretty in this. likable in this, yeah, yeah. Even even the more grisly Quint, I'm, I root for him. Um, an accident during filming caused the orca to begin sinking. Uh, Spielberg began screaming over a bullhorn for the nearby safety boats to rescue the actors. Or uh, John Carter, already up to his knees in water, held his uh, Nagra, a tape recorder, up over his head and screamed, "Fuck the actors! Save the sound department!" <laughs> during the accident, the film camera was submerged, so its film, still submerged in seawater, was assumed to be ruined. However, once it was realized the developing solution is saline, the film was flown to New York Film Lab, and technicians didn't lose any of it. The accident nice. is described starting at one thirty, one hour thirty minutes into the making of Jaws on the thirtieth anniversary DVD. Although Steven Spielberg wanted Charleston Heston to play Brody, the main reason he decided against casting Heston was because of his saving the day role in his previous movies, Airport and Earthquake. Spielberg reasoned that if Heston would have been cast, it signifies to the audience that the shark was virtually no chance against a hero. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so there's, there, like I said, there's a million of these. I won't go through uh, all of them because we'll be here all night, but I'll, <laughs> I'll try to pick one more out that I think... Uh, is is interesting um well i have two more that i think are, are funny um author peter benchley has mentioned that if he had known about the actual behavior of sharks he would never have written the book um i think he sort of felt guilty that sharks are actually not like notorious killers and there's very few shark attacks every year and it probably did a lot of damage to their reputation but uh mm -hmm. i mean we wouldn't have had this movie if he'd done that and then uh in addition to the well-known name of nickname of Bruce, Steven Spielberg also called the shark the Great White Turd when he became quite frustrated with the troublesome, troublesome animatronic fish. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny too. Uh, yeah, like I said, I don't want to go through everything, but it's uh, an iconic movie. I'm so glad I I got you to watch it for the first time. Um, Same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just it's just great to have you on here um i'm just glad i found some time in your crazy schedule uh, <laughs> so like i we had mentioned earlier all these music videos is there like one space people can go to to find uh everything that you're working on i've obviously look them up on indb and you're listed under um, almost all your projects but where can people find you to check out what you're working on um uh, i guess the most comprehensive uh, place would be colormean.media um that's that's for my production company that has i think my last three music videos on there and then i have a website emilox.com that i need to update uh i just haven't gotten to it <laughs> but that'll have like my like acting and all the other things that i do and <laughs> uh do you do you encourage uh, some some people don't like to have strangers follow them but do you encourage people to follow you on social media um do you have a, a spy? At least I know that uh, your color me in has a, a social presence. Yeah, yeah, they can they can follow my Instagram. Um, it's at e e h m e a l. But uh, I'm I'm trying to do something where I, like I don't plug like uh, like for example my Facebook and Twitter. Like I I I have to between social media marketing and like having projects that I need to plug in like every second. Like 
there's there's some platforms where like, i'm just like i you just had to be yourself and not constantly yeah. promoting constantly promoting or curating like like yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I need to have my own space <laughs> right you have to be yourself too not just like the filmmaker actor you have a real life also it's sometimes yeah. it's hard to remember that and uh you know I'm, I'm the sort of the same way um you know i i i know some people just are like i'd rather people not follow me on social media and that's cool too <laughs> but uh you can find him on those you check out uh all the music videos i'll put links up to to things that um he's been awesome. working on uh you know stay indie was a, a role you recently were in that uh web series mm-hmm. uh just doing a lot of things like i said <laughs> in front of behind of the cameras uh and just keep doing you, man. I'm I'm gonna have to have you back if you're not too too big in like a few months, uh, and you find a, a free another free night because I'm finding out so much about your uh, history of like I I love that you haven't seen a lot of stuff. I think that's exciting. Um, it's fresh because as always on here, I tell people like in the film circles. I'm sure when you tell people like uh, I, I haven't seen Jaws. It's like they ridicule you, and it's like that's not how you get people to. It gets to the point where people are afraid to admit they haven't seen things, and they just start either lying or, or you know, the yeah. the classic one. It's like, oh, I haven't seen it in so long, because that's an easy way to say I've seen it, but I don't remember it. It's like, it, uh, it feels like a form of gatekeeping, and like even 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 like uh, even among Iowa filmmakers, there there is that. <laughs> oh yeah, there is that, and then uh i remember just seeing a thread where it's like uh great filmmakers are are the greatest filmmakers are the ones that go back and watch all these old films and i was like uh, that's such a like i get why that works for some people but that that feels like a very in not a non-derogatory way a film school way to approach things oh yeah i think i think that it is great to study old films to study like where techniques came from or like approaches but I don't think that studying old films or classics is a prerequisite to being a great filmmaker. And and that's often where that discourse gets muddled because they're like, well, if you don't watch it, how can you be good? And it's like, there, there are kids, pick, there are new kids, a new generation of Spielbergs picking up cameras every day and just trying to find a way to tell a story. And that's that's where the innovation comes from. It's from people not necessarily knowing where the boundaries are. Exactly. And, like the yeah. first filmmakers had to start somewhere and, you know, Spielberg didn't have Spielberg to watch, you know, and it's like, I don't know. Yeah. It just, it, <laughs> it, it's like, it, it's crazy to me that we put so much weight on that too. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people who have done film school and stuff um, and people who are self-taught, you know, and, and then of course we have the whole generation of people who were like, look at Kevin Smith and Tarantino, you know, they were like, you know, th- they went out there and, and it's like, the film industry has completely changed since they started guys. It's not at all the same way, but, um, Oh yeah. You know, it's, we're, we're in, we're in a whole different time where, you know, people can film entire movies on iPhones and, you know, people, we have technology at our fingertips to edit stuff where, like you said, you know, looking back at, at actual film, when people had to do shit like that, it's like, we have such cool opportunities and that's why I love, you know, short film festivals is like someone can make something for nothing. You can see, you see stuff with higher budgets too, but it's like, it's just so inspiring to know that, you know, people are just being inspired by each other. Like you don't necessarily have to go back and study the old masters to know how to make your own thing. Maybe it's, you know, it's, it's, it could be an argument that it's, it's better that you don't because you're not at all influenced by it. So 
I mean, I'm biased, but I, I feel that way. <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah. I mean, a lot of people go after Tarantino for being using that too much as a crutch. You know, his movies are just compilations of the stuff he grew up watching. Um, you know, and and that's that's a whole different argument. I I enjoy Tarantino's work, but I recognize that you know he's he's putting together stuff from his stuff is all influenced from other filmmakers. So yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, that's that's a that's a whole probably a whole different rabbit hole to go down. But uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I'm just what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that I celebrate the fact that you haven't seen um, some of these movies that are considered classics, uh, and I too have not seen a lot of classics. People assume because I you know volunteer at the theater, or I work, I run a film festival, and I'm a movie guy that I've seen. I've never seen the one I almost mentioned on every podcast that people flip their shit about is that I've never seen a whole Lord of the Rings movie. Um, I've tried, I've tried sitting through the first one four or five times. I fall asleep every single time. It doesn't mean that it's a bad movie. It means that I need more sleep. It needs, it's like my attention span's not all there. Um, but you know what? I, I own it. Like, and eventually I'll get through them, but you know, we shouldn't put so much weight on what people have and haven't done. It's like how many people have made a movie, you know? Yeah, you've made yeah. you've make you've made more movies than most people will make in their entire life, man. You've done more, you know, than most people. You've lived a life that most people can't fit in their entire lifetime already. So, uh, you know, never be ashamed to admit what you haven't seen. Um, it shouldn't be met with uh, disdain, or people shouldn't, um, you know, try to make it a huge deal. I, I, when someone tells me they haven't seen something, I'm like, that's what's great about this podcast. Then come on and let's talk about it. Let's watch it and celebrate it. Let's, uh, let's go yeah <laughs> yeah i love it and now that i know that there's a few other um spielbergs we could do like we could go down the rabbit hole and, and enjoy all these and i can relive them because it's you know it's some of them i haven't visited in years and i would love for an excuse to so um thanks so much for being on man it was so good to talk to you about jaws thanks for having me on <laughs> yeah of course of course um and like i said i'll i'll throw up some links and let people uh, check out all of your stuff that you've been working on, but uh, I look forward to talking to you again sometime soon and keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend, Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on first time podcast. What?